Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. I'm really excited to introduce our guest today. Karen Hurt helps human-centered leaders resolve workplace ambiguity so they can drive innovation, productivity, and revenue without burning out employees. After two decades as a Verizon executive, Karen and her husband, David Dye, founded Let's Grow Leaders, a training firm focused on human-centered leadership development for those determined to get breakthrough results without losing their humanity. Leaders they found were hungry for practical tools and leadership development that sticks. Since the inception of Let's Grow Leaders in 2013, Karen and David have helped grow over 10,000 leaders in 14 countries and are active in their philanthropic initiative, Winning Wells, which builds clean water wells for the people of Cambodia. Recently named by Inc. Magazine as a top 100 great leadership speaker, Karen is the award-winning author of four books, including Courageous Cultures, how to build teams of micro innovators, problem solvers, and customer advocates. And we're gonna be talking a little bit about that book today. And Winning Well, a manager's guide to getting results without losing your soul. And hosts the popular LinkedIn show, Asking for a Friend. Hello, Karen. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for being here today. And I did kind of a yeoman's job of introducing you. And I'm just wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about the work you and David do in the marketplace and you know, really how you interact with the marketplace. Yeah, so we really focus on very practical tools and techniques that help leaders uh, get the results that they need and show up as a human being that they feel proud of. So we do a lot of uh, long-term leadership development programs. We'll, we'll do space learning over time. And so people really have an opportunity to practice the tools, to use them with your their teams. It's not a lot of theory. It's uh, based on our experience of a couple decades of leading ourselves. And so all the tools are, are designed based on our experience. So you just used a term that I'm not sure all of our listeners might be aware of, which is space time learning. Space, yeah, space learning over time, which all that means is, you know, our most popular program is a, a six module program. So you'll learn something, you'll work with us, then you'll go back, you'll apply it, then you come back again, we debrief how it went. And in between, there's little micro learning, text message to your phone, reinforcing. Because, you know, we know that adults learn, you know, with 
repetition. And so anything we teach, we try to teach five times, five different ways so that it really gets ingrained into the way you do your leadership. Great. Well, I remember the model five times five from your book, Courageous Culture. So we'll talk about that. But, you know, I love this word practice, right? Because this is something that so many other people don't do. And I also love the word practical that I uh, hear you use because you recognize that leaders need to have practical tools. They can't work off philosophies or theories and they have to practice it. It's not like you learn it and leave the workshop now an expert in how to do it. You actually have to go back to your workplace and find places to do what you've learned in order to make it work. Is that what you find with the leaders you work with? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So practice is such a key, critical, uh, you know, way to get better at what it is that you want to get good at. So, you know, as I mentioned, I read your book, Courageous Cultures, your, your book with David Dye, and I thought it was fantastic. And I thought it was fantastic for a couple of reasons. And it's the two words we just used, one, that it's very practical. And so, you know, it's not a 600 page monster of a book, but it's a, a great size book that you can read, uh, you know, over a few days and really leave with some activities. And one of the things I love that you did is after each chapter, especially when you talk about the curiosity and clarity model, is that you have activities, right? You shared some activities. Can you tell us a little bit why you put these type of activities in the book? Well, so we really designed the book so that a leadership team could read it together and uh, then go back and immediately apply it. So, you know, when we talk about creating clarity, well, how do you then establish, what do you mean by building a courageous culture? Where do you really need great ideas? You know, when you talk about curiosity, what's your plan to deliberately go out and proactively be ask people for their their insights. And so it's really meant to be read a chapter at a time, then go do it, then come back and space learning over time, (laughs) then read the next chapter and then go apply it. Um, And it's been really interesting because we've also taken in some of our workshops We'll, we'll take that process and we'll work with the leadership team on saying, okay, find three areas that you really need an idea right now, like a really good idea. And then over a couple of hours, we'll work through some of those tools too. So you don't have to spread it all out. You can just really focus on an idea and then use the tools and processes to quickly get to where you might need an idea as well. So it sounds like in the programs that you host with clients, you actually use the book in some respects as a platform to help build their skill sets in working together. Yeah, it's twofold, really. It's to help build their skill sets so they could learn the tools and processes to do anytime they needed an idea. But it also, uh, we've been finding, especially in the pandemic, it has been really powerful to say to a you know COO or CEO, okay, give me three areas where you really need a, a fast pivot or a great idea or you haven't figured this out. Okay, so we're going to teach the tools and then we're going to break people into three breakout rooms with those ideas and you're, they're going to work through the process and come back. And sometimes we do what we call a fishbowl, which is like shark tank, but more friendly. <laughs> and so we'll do a fishbowl competition where people, uh, you know, the People compete, you know, with a little C against one another to come up with the very best ideas, which adds a little bit of gamification and fun to it. But then, of course, you know, we just did one the other day. And so we had 20 breakout rooms going concurrently. And uh, then we, you know, they competed. And then the best six ideas came to the final competition. But of course, you have all those 20 ideas. And so you can take elements of all of that at the end. And then, you know, 
also they've learned a process and the, the tool is simple. The tools are simple. So you, it's not like they really need us to come to be, be the facilitator the next time. Now they know how to do it. Well, and God forbid that people should actually have fun at work. <laughs> you know, coming up with ideas doesn't have to be painful. You can actually have fun. So you named the book Courageous Cultures. And of course, when we think about the topic of our podcast, Be Brave at Work, it resonates completely, right? And that's one of the reasons I loved reading your book, because so many of your theories and experiences and ideas and practice modules uh, apply to being braver in the workplace. And I know that might not be the core goal of your your work, but first tell us, you know, where did the title and uh, what does it mean to you when you think about courageous cultures? Yeah, so our favorite definition of culture comes from Seth Godin, and it's simply people like us do things like this. And uh, when we think about a courageous culture, what we're talking about is people like us speak up. Uh, we we share the truth. We uh, raise our hand when we see something wrong. And uh, so that's really what we're trying to build. And what we found, the reason we got so curious about this is that we were finding as we were working with organizations uh, across a variety of industries. So this was, and across a variety of countries, we were noticing a consistent phenomenon. And that what we would go into the most senior levels of the organization, we would hear things like, why don't people speak up? Why am I the one who has to find these best practices? Why aren't people sharing their ideas? Why don't people see this stuff and fix it? And then we would go in to do you know, leadership training at the supervisor level, and we'd hear things like, ah, nobody wants my ideas. The last time I spoke up, I got in trouble. Nothing ever happens anyway. And we thought, are you all working for the same company? <laughs> you know, These leaders really did want ideas. Employees really did have ideas to share. And somehow there was this incredible disconnect. So that's why we partnered with the University of North Colorado on this extensive research study. It was qualitative and quantitative. We wanted to do the due diligence, not just our theory, but to say, when people aren't speaking up, what are the kinds of ideas that they're holding back? And what is preventing them from sharing those ideas? And, you know, we found that the ideas they were holding back weren't trivial. Uh, you know, it wasn't, oh, I'd like kombucha in the break room or virtual tacos, right? It was, you know, I have an idea to improve productivity in pr the pro a process or improve the customer experience or improve the employee experience, which of course would lead to better engagement. And so, we then took that research, got underneath the root causes, and then, of course, came up with practical tools to make that happen. Because in a courageous culture, it shouldn't actually take daily courage to show up because it's just the way we do things. So I don't have to summon my courage to raise my hand because I know that I'm expected to raise my hand. Well, this is a fantastic theory. And I think as you might attest to it doesn't exist as much as we'd like to think that it does in most corporations. Uh, I think most corporations have that gap and there are leaders who wonder where the ideas are and employees who don't think anybody cares. And it sounds as though you're starting with the culture needs to be a culture that demonstrates bravery, that uh, provides examples of bravery and rewards for bravery, right? So people know that it is okay to disagree or speak up or share an idea without being judged. You reference and you know, your uh, introduction is by Amy Edmondson, of course, who's a leader in psychological safety, which inspires people to be who they are when they need to be. And if you think an idea isn't 
correct or could be better or you have questions about it or don't fully understand it, you raise your hand and ask without feeling like people are saying, oh, my God, I, I don't believe he's raising his hand or everybody got that. and He doesn't. What's wrong with him? Right. So it sounds as though culture really is a huge influencer in uh, being braver at work. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so you gave in your book some reasons why people don't speak up or share ideas. And, you know, some of them include people don't think leadership wants their ideas, which is what you were just saying, the core theory of your your work has been. Uh, my favorite, no one asks. So it's like, well, no one asked. I had a great idea, but no one ever said, you know, do you have a great idea? So I just didn't share it, which, of course, sounds highly juvenile. But that, that is how a lot of people behave. Uh, they lack confidence to share. And that's where a lot of the work I'm experiencing on the podcast is where I don't have the words or phrases or uh, confidence in order to say something, and I just kind of hide and run away. Uh, they lack the skills. You know, we don't learn how to be braver in the workplace in high school and college and graduate school. There's no program on conflict navigation, you know, unless you're at a very special educational institution. But, you know, we really don't learn how to do this. And so I think most of us lack the skills. And they also think people don't think anything will happen. So they don't bother, right? I'm going to have this great idea. Everyone's going to shake their head and say, sounds great. And then we move on. Were those the outcome of you, your research? Were those the five things that you found? Yeah, the, the, absolutely. And then uh, one more, which was uh, the most surprising, was 58% uh, said, I am not um, going, I, I won't do it because I'm not going to get credit for my ideas. And it was so fascinating. So when, you know, back when we were actually doing keynotes in big rooms, right, we would share the research, you know, and you'd look out to the audience and we would share that statistic and people would go, uh-huh. Like everyone. <laughs> yeah, somebody stole my idea. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just, that one just really boggled my mind that there were that many people feeling that way. And, you know, of course, I don't think it's always that they didn't get credit. I mean, they, they felt, felt like they didn't get credit, but it could have been that the idea was already implemented. Somebody else also brought up the idea, right? So I think there's a lot of nuances around that, which is why how you respond when you receive an idea is so important. Right. You know, I spent 25 years in corporate America you know, I certainly generated a lot of ideas. I wasn't the hub of ideas, but, you know, I had my share. And, I, you know, I can't ever remember somebody blatantly stealing an idea or at a meeting saying, hey, something I was thinking about. And I'm sitting with myself saying, we just talked about that yesterday. I just shared that with you. So it is a little stunning to hear that, right? That yeah. someone could be at a meeting and someone share something that I just shared with you yesterday. And it was the first time you heard it. And you're taking full credit for it. But I guess it happened. Well, it was interesting because I taught in a um, MBA program for a while. And uh, one of my classes was called um, Dealing with Difficult People at Work. And so the way this worked was you were you had to come with your difficult person. So and would you could probably guess who everybody's difficult persons was the boss, the boss. Almost 100% had were there in my class because of the boss. And then we had to work through the issues. And the very biggest issue was that people weren't getting credit for their ideas. Yeah, their boss was taking credit. And, uh, you know, so I think it's, it is, it's a thing. <laughs> it is a thing. And it's interesting in your book, you talk a little bit about, you know, uh, having, uh, you know, existing in a courageous culture with your boss, right? And I think a lot of the examples you reference happen to be with your boss. 
by some great coincidence, uh, in my recent book, Drive Your Career, my first chapter encourages people to have a positive relationship with your boss because your boss can influence your career in ways that you might not even begin to imagine. And I'm not suggesting your best friends or you go out for drinks on Friday nights, but you need to ensure that you know your boss's goals and objectives, that you understand your boss's personality preferences, and that you work to have ethically, not unethically, but ethically a good relationship with your boss. So it's so interesting that that is what your statistics showed. I'm such a big believer in that. My very first little book, uh, I don't really promote this one because it was very, it was really early on, but it was called Overcoming an Imperfect Boss. And, you know, the idea being that all human beings are imperfect and your boss is a human being just like you doing the best that they can, most likely. And, you know, didn't wake up one morning saying, hey, I'm just going to come to work and see how ticked off I can make everybody. Right. That's just not how it is. So, Yeah. Well, and what's also interesting culturally is I believe that as people go up the hierarchy and become a director or a vice president, an executive vice president, you know, people also think their level of perfection is also growing. You know, people think the most perfect person at the company is the president because that's how he or she got there because they know everything and do everything correctly. And in reality, they're not, right? They make mistakes and say things they shouldn't say or do things they shouldn't do or miss an idea or miss a behavior. And this is a huge part of this podcast is to help people recognize that regardless of the level you're at in your organization, to your point, we're all human. And we all you know, get dressed in the morning and we don't look at the, ourselves at the in the bathroom mirror and say, I'm going to have a horrible day today and make everybody miserable. Uh, You know, we make mistakes and it takes courage and bravery to say to somebody from time to time, hey, can I talk with you for a few minutes? I'd love to give you some feedback on something that I think would help you. And I hope most people would say, you know, absolutely. Now, how they react is, you know, a little bit of a wild card. But, you know, I love that that's uh, an area that became really important. We're going to pause in our conversation with Karen Hurt and ask that you join us at our next podcast where we will continue our conversation about courageous cultures and being brave at work. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us this week, and we hope you join us next week as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at bebraveatwork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on Apple, Google, CastBox, Overcast, Radio Public, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available everywhere online. The audio version for Drive Your Career was just released, so you can now purchase the book in paperback, Kindle, or audio. Do you have something to say, yet are not saying it? You have something to do, yet are not doing it. Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.